Hello, food enthusiasts, and welcome to this issue of the Future Foodcast, where we talk to thought leaders and just trendsetters of all about what's going on in the food industry. And today we have Axel Ludstrom with us. He is the VP of Indirect Procurement with Danone, and we are happy to invite him on the podcast. Thank you for having me today, Pam. Yeah, we are we are delighted. There is so much information uh, that you can share with us, and I'm really looking forward to unpacking some of that, Axel. But first of all, can you tell us about the indirect procurement title and what you're doing at Danone? Sure. So indirect procurement, the way I explain it simply to people, is everything that doesn't go into the product. So this would be all the services um, that are purchased um, around uh, the company and the parts that uh, make up the equipment that go into uh, in, into making our products. So this covers everything from logistics, which is transportation, warehousing, um, it covers media, marketing spend, as I said, capital uh, equipment and improvements that we do to our factories, it covers professional services, IS, IT, HR. I joke sometimes it's everything from cell phones to toilet paper, uh, everything really in between um, that makes up this uh, the spend of the company. Yeah, that is a large area of responsibility. I'm not sure how you keep track of all that. I imagine yes. you're really good at delegation <laughs> for one. <laughs> that might be. Um, you have some great people working with you, no doubt. Um, but how did you even end up here? You have You have quite a rich history, I think, in the food space too. Yeah, I uh, actually went to school uh, to be an engineer. I, I graduated as a mechanical engineer. I never thought that I would do anything um, as dynamic as this. I thought for sure I would sit in a dark room in front of my computer and draw all day long. I started uh, off um, as an internship as a project engineer for a food company uh, that you know called Welch's. Uh, they make grape juice and jelly. And I started to understand a little bit more about business and combining maybe the technical side of my understanding with the business side. And I think it just really evolved over time that I, I started uh, to understand how the the individual factories and the individual equipment contributed to the success of, of companies and really have built a career, you know, focusing maybe more so on how we make the products and then moving into how we procure the products and now maybe how the procurement of those products helped to add to the, the margin, uh, the sales and the success of companies. I know. I think it's something that people don't think about a lot. Everybody's always focused on the product and how you're sourcing it, making it, distributing it, selling it. But there is so much else, which is a lot of the areas that you're handling right now that that all has to come into play as, as that product life cycle is happening that really affects the bottom line of the company. And you're playing, you're, you're just really affecting um, a lot of the outcome of the productivity and and profitability of the company as well with what you're doing. Yeah, it's been a rough couple of years. I've only been in this role a little more than a year and a half. Oh my goodness. I think I picked uh, one of the worst times uh, ever to get into supply chain procurement and, and making sure that we have the products on the shelves or the services to deliver those products to the right. shelves. So it's been surely a learning curve, uh, but a very fun one. I, I really enjoy and I'm lucky to enjoy what I do for a living. 
Yeah, and that's fabulous. I want to talk about some of the products in a minute, especially here in the U.S. I think there's a lot that people aren't aware of that come from your company, but you brought up your challenges. You started right in the middle of the pandemic, Axel. <laughs> I mean, that had to be a challenge. What, what have you had to deal with on that supply chain side? It is in the news these days. We are all hearing about it. You're having to work with it. Yeah, I mean, I think um, everything from moving across the country and delays and the shipping of my own home goods to my house, um, all the way through to, you know, the highest uh, increase in transportation costs and fuel costs that we've seen uh, almost in our lifetime, you know, every challenge that could have been thrown at us, uh, we've had over this past year and a half. Right. Um, I think We've stayed pretty true to our strategy of focusing on, on understanding the market, understanding when the market changes, how do we react, how do we create flexibility within our teams to be able to uh, take advantage once, uh, once COVID started to exit. And, you know, it's finally starting to pay off. We're finally starting to see some of the fruits of our labor. I think as this recession looms, uh, there's been softening in the market. And we were prepared to be able to, you know, take advantage of that as it came. I think uh, no one expected it to be so volatile, but the team has just kept their eye on the North Star and and known that they they have a good strategy in place that will allow for some flexibility. And yeah, we're starting to be pretty successful as of late. Nice. Well, from a practical standpoint uh, of view, practical standpoint, what do you do to try to remain flexible and keep focused on the North Star? What? How does that translate into action on the ground, essentially? Like, can you give me an actionable thing that your yeah, group think, has done? I think a couple of things that have really helped us out lately, we've been leveraging as many digital tools or digital technologies as we can. When I look at the um, logistics network and the transportation network, we've been doing a lot of work to automate um, the way that we interact with carriers, the way that we interact with brokers and, and our asset carriers. How do we take the most amount of touches out of the process? So from when an order comes from our customer, how does it flow to that carrier? How does that carrier know when and where to pick up what product, when to deliver it, you know, automatically scheduling times within our customers, but then also making sure that the flow of the uh, information and also the flow of the money is as, as seamless as possible. So they get paid uh, in a timely manner and there's the least amount of human touches um, as possible. We're even doing some work around um, dynamic tendering where uh, carriers will bid through a program and they're allowed to bid against one another in really a live almost auction style format. Okay. And that's helped out in just taking that the human or the buyer element out and using tools to, to keep it uh, as seamless as possible. Right. Well, well, and that makes a lot of sense, just taking the, the physical human touches out of that and automating as much of that process as you can. And um, a little competition amongst the carriers, not a bad thing (laughs) as well. For sure, from a procurement standpoint, yes. Absolutely, getting them bidding against each other. And you you talked about digital tools. So what kind of digital tools are you utilizing to help you achieve this? 
Yeah, we, we recently implemented some procurement tools. Um, uh, one of them uh, that's been pretty helpful has been a company by the name of Coupa. They've been doing, uh, we've been doing work with them, say, for about the past year and a half. And the goal there is just to make it as seamless as possible for the user or the requester to purchase the product that they need. Right. So if you need to buy uh, in this environment, you need to buy a new monitor for your home or a new docking station. We want to make sure that you don't have to jump through a lot of hoops uh, in order to get those things procured. So we're putting things like catalogs in place that you can go and choose your monitor and choose your mouse and right. be able to make sure it gets delivered to your home. We're also doing a lot of work with analytics. Uh, we were a pretty big Microsoft house. So we're using uh, Power BI quite a bit lately to go back and even check some of the work we've done. So as I've said, we have automatic tendering uh, to our carriers going on. We have to check and make sure that that's working right. And this is a huge amount of data. We have roughly 1,300 lanes that we're shipping on on our daily basis. Okay. And every one of those lanes is uh, has a different carrier or a different customer. So you can imagine the complexity that we have uh, in that. Well, I can imagine now with and logistics is a huge piece of what you do, but it's only because you have such such a large base of products. Can you tell us about some of the products that you have here in North America and maybe some of the ones that that are common to us that we don't even realize are coming from your company? Yeah, Danone has a has a wide uh, variety of products. You know, I think we were founded as a dairy company, and what many people know is that Danone makes yogurt. But what they don't know is that over the past, you know, more than a hundred years, we've been working to provide really healthy food to as many people as possible. We've really uh, ramped up a lot of our work within the plant based food space. So brands like Silk and So Delicious are two probably of the the more famous brands mm -hmm. uh, on the plant-based side. Um, on the dairy side, you know, uh, brands like Activia or Danimals or Oikos, uh, Greek yogurt. Yes. Um, what you maybe don't know is that uh, we also own a very large water company uh, that the, the water comes uh, from France and is actually exported to the United States by the name of Avion. So they've... Uh, been very popular in the, you know, in the mineral uh, water space for a long time here in North America. And they're a big part of our global turnover. Um, nice. As of recently, we've, we've started to move into the medical nutrition space. So we have some nutrition products uh, through the brand of Nutritia that are helping um, people and, and especially young children who are not able to meet their, their dietary requirements. Wow. And also I have just recently with the shortages uh, for infant formula in the U.S. started importing uh, infant formula from Europe and around the world to North America. So really this foundation of uh, branded products that uh, help nourish your body has been uh, a big focus uh, as of lately and will continue to be here in the future. Thanks. And thank you for sharing some of that because I've heard of a lot of those brands, but I wouldn't have necessarily given credit to your company. So that's great to know that. And especially like the Avion water and 
I, I didn't know that. And certainly if you're not involved in that nutritional area, maybe with the undernourished, especially children, you might not be familiar with that either. So thanks for sharing that for our audience to know that there's some good quality brands out there and true to your mission of bringing good, good, healthy, good for you food to your customers. Um, but along those lines, you're also very responsible as a company in other areas too. Uh, some of the sustainability and the certifications. Do you want to talk to that a little bit? Because you're quite doing quite good corporate work. Yeah. So uh, over the past few years, we've been really trying to focus on this balance. We we say between people, profit, and purpose. So to make sure that our business is in balance from, I'd say, a financial perspective, but also when it comes to the environment and as well the people. We know that uh, this generation of worker wants to work for a company that we that they believe in and that we all believe in. And we don't think uh, that that should be taken lightly. So yeah, we've uh, recently made some announcements that uh, by uh, 2030, uh, we would like to be uh, B Corp certified um, across the globe. Uh, we're at roughly 70% uh, right now uh, to date. And, you know, the thought is there that, you know, our responsibility um, and doesn't stop at the factory door, that we have to make sure that we move into the communities that we're in, but also that we provide a financially stable model for the company and for those communities so that, you know, it's not just about doing the right thing no matter what, it's about doing the right thing with the strong financial backing uh, where we can provide to our, our shareholders and ensure that our employees will have a place to work for the next 100 years. Well, and 70%, you know, that's, that's a large number, but it's even larger when you think about the footprint of your company across the world. Uh, the numbers are really staggering. And I think the, the important thing, one of the important things about that is that you're kind of setting the pace there and some smaller companies can see what you're doing and be able to mimic that. And that'll just raise the bar for everyone and help sure. maybe some of the other companies that don't have the investment dollars that you do to figure out what processes should be implemented you know, they they can um, take advantage of your scale and size and just be able to duplicate what you're doing. So we appreciate that contribution kind of to the global initiative. Um, the B Corp certification is not easy to get. And the fact that you've got 70% of your footprint there is, is really, really impressive. But that's not all. I think you talked about some plans in the future with different solar, you just different energy uh, solutions that you're looking at because you are yes. in direct procurement. <laughs> so you're looking at all these yes. different options. <laughs> Tell us about some of that. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, my team uh, purchases uh, what we'd call our capital or CapEx uh, uh, spend. Um, and that covers a broad range. You know, CapEx is also lumped in with a lot of the spend that we have in our factories, so that includes energy. So we have a number of projects going on as we speak to look at solar mm -hmm. uh, installations across uh, many of our sites. You know, if we think about the roofs of our factories or the roofs of our warehouses, it's a lot of unused real estate. Uh, and, and our hope is, especially with this latest bill that was passed around offsetting inflation, you know, there was good support for uh, renewable energy uh, projects and plans. So 
We're moving full steam ahead uh, on solar in quite a few of our locations. We're also looking at using some of our waste uh, that we produce from our dairy factories and converting that into renewable gas. So we have some, at least one active uh, biodigester project in one of our factories, um, but it also extends even upstream uh, into some of our suppliers as we look at the farms that we work with, uh, dairy farms produce a lot of manure, as, as many of you probably know, and that manure is really liquid gold. So our hope is that we can capture as much of that energy as we can and reuse it in things like our, our fleet of trucks that we use or to help uh, power and, and heat our facilities. So yeah, it's a, it's a like I said, it's an exciting time. Yeah. to uh, be buying energy uh, and also find ways to create your own energy in this uh, circular loop uh, that we that we work in. Yeah, and, and it is kind of that circular loop that it's all connected in some way. And you mentioned um, your farms, like dairy farms you were talking about, but I know that you also work with other uh, farmers and suppliers to you and you know, you get involved with them um, as as they work with you. I don't know if you want to share anything about some of those relationships or yeah. how, how that works on the sourcing piece of it. Yeah, I didn't talk about it so much in the beginning, but, you know, uh, before coming to this role, I spent the past eight years working with our dairy farmer uh, partners across the country. So this is everything from a, you know, a small 10 cow operation in central New York all the way to a very uh, large uh, operation in West Central Kansas. It's it's everything in between. We've made a significant push to go direct uh, to farms and work directly with farms as much as possible. And it is to unlock, I think, a lot of these types of projects that I talked about before. Not only is there, you know, the push to support our ESG initiatives, but there's also a push to make sure that our our suppliers have a sustainable business model as well. So we're doing things like um, having new pricing systems where we pay more on a cost plus basis uh, with our farms to ensure that they can maintain the volatility within the, the milk market or the grain market. We also have um, different types of pricing mechanisms and models that are maybe not full pass-through pricing, but more on an index that allow the farm to predict their revenue over a longer period of time and maybe invest uh, more in um, in the efforts uh, that they would like to do, right. whether it's uh, from an ESG or uh, animal welfare or just an overall farm improvement uh, perspective. Yeah. Nice. Those are I mean, that's a great opportunity from the farmer's perspective to be able to partner with your company to, to fund some of the projects they want, also have support in that area, you know, to be able to, to kind of undergird them with a little bit of less volatility in markets that we know can be very volatile. So using yeah. the strength that you've got to be able to help in that way with our our global food supply, which I think all of us are trying to figure out the best way to manage all the resources that we have moving forward. So I appreciate some of the initiatives that Danone is undertaking uh, to do some of that. Is there Are there other things that you would like to share with us? I, 
this has been like a very interesting interview. We have covered so many different topics, but I, I'm sure there's probably more in there that you'd like to share. I just don't know what all that might be, Axel. Yeah, I think, you know, I mentioned a lot that I was surprised maybe, and I didn't talk so much about this in the beginning, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing today. I think one of the things that has been interesting to me is that the procurement space and specifically this indirect space, which seems to be, you talk to any CPO for any company, you know, they feel like they got their tattoo in procurement when they worked in indirect, but it can be a really interesting and fun and dynamic job. As hard as some of the problems are that we face day to day, I think if you have a mindset for continuous improvement, you can make the job enjoyable. We've done a lot of work within our teams to find where people are happy and maybe people are not so happy and move them around and adjust the overall organization to match the skills and the energy that people have uh, for the space. And I think it's been a fun um, experience in not really having always the most set playbook. You know, my playbook probably changes every day and my team's playbook changes uh, on a regular basis. And I think this has been just a fun time to be in procurement and it shows what the procurement function can be um, and maybe, you know, adds a little bit of contrast to what people believe that it used to be or that it should be, that I should just buy whatever you tell me to buy and say, now we're moving into a place where we provide solutions that help the company. And that's, you know, this it's a fun, it's a fun thing. Yes, you're much more than that supply procurement person, which is how that type of job used to be identified, right? You're you're actually getting involved with the business and trying to evaluate different solutions that you can have some effect on, is what I'm hearing, that you're actively seeking. Uh, greater, bigger, better solutions to solve the problems that Danone is having, as well as other uh, companies in your space. But yes, uh, for sure. Yeah, that's that is really cool. And I have to say, not what you honestly, when you said you studied as a mechanical engineer, this profile of job constantly changing, uh, different playbook all the time that you're referring to, you just must have a really good aptitude uh, for the numbers to, to pull off that mechanical engineering degree, but then also the flexibility to apply that to a, a variety of different business situations. And I, I'm sure Danone is really excited to have you in this position. So we, uh, we really appreciate you sharing from your expertise with our future Foodcast audience today. Thanks for being with us, Axel. Yeah, thank you for having me, Pam. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 